So today, obviously, as you saw, and we announced this last week, is Communion Sunday. And uh, so I thought it would be good, since these couple of weeks we're going to have standalone messages, to go back into the Word and to look at what the Bible teaches about the Lord's table. So if you have your Bibles today and want to follow along, please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. And my goal and hope for this message today is this. If this is the very first time you've ever taken communion, or if this is the hundredth time you've ever taken communion, I hope that our time in the Word before we partake of these elements today will bring new meaning, new insight, uh, new instruction, if you will, so that Again, whether this is the first time you've taken communion or the 500th time you've taken it, that it will have some kind of new meaning for all of us today. A couple other things before we get into Paul's specific instruction to the church here at Corinth. Uh, First of all, Jesus gave his church two ordinances Two things that he said, look, this is what I want you to do. One was, I want you to observe the Lord's table. And second is baptism. And so both of these are very important. And that's why we encourage Christians to make sure that you avail yourself of the Lord's table when it is offered. And also being baptized. Because these are the two things that the Lord Jesus himself specifically uh, laid down for the church to observe. And so that's why we encourage people to both partake of the Lord's table and uh, to be baptized. Secondly, you will notice as we go down through this passage that Paul is mentioning not only their observance of the Lord's table per se, the bread and the cup, but that he talks about a meal. And the reason he does that is because all the way back, even into the earliest days of the church, many times the church would couple uh, the the observance of the Lord's table with sort of a fellowship potluck meal, if you will, like we do. Uh, They would call it maybe sometimes the love feast or whatever, and it's been passed down through. And that's one of the reasons why even we try to do potlucks. And one of the sort of the sad things that I've seen even is that in the last couple of times we've done potlucks here, it's like the interest in all of that sort of is waning. And I, I... I'm hoping that we can, because we've sort of let that go for a while, I'm hoping that when we have our next one, that there will be more interest and more engagement, because this is something that, honestly, we can connect all the way back to the early church. They did potlucks. They did fellowship meals together, and they especially did it on the days that they would observe the Lord's table. Also this, you folks are a very loving and caring group of people. You really do love and care about each other, and that's very noticeable. And you are nothing like, uh, in, in many ways, the church that we're going to see described here by Paul in Corinth. However, it's important that we know this, that even though this may not describe, in, in a lot of ways, the way we relate to each other at the Oasis, It's still a good reminder for us 
that we can always continue to grow in our love and concern and regard for each other. That's always true. And it should be sort of a good admonition to us never to let our fellowship with each other degenerate into what it had become in Corinth. Because it reminds us of this very important principle. And that is that we can, like the church at Corinth, be doing what God, in a sense, asked us or commands us to do, but not do it in the way that he wants us to do it. And so we have to be careful of that as Christians, either in our individual lives or in our corporate life as a church, that we can, in a sense, be doing what God is calling us to do or to be, and yet not doing it at all in the way he intended for it to look. So we've got to make sure that when we are following the Lord in doing the things he calls us to do, that we're doing it his way, if you will the way he intended for it to be. So note, with all of that said, let's get into this instruction that Paul gives concerning the Lord's table this morning. Verse 17, Paul says, Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you. I can't affirm you. I can't applaud you. I can't approve of what you're doing. Wow. You know, in in a day and age where You know, everybody wants affirmation and approval and applause. And if you don't give it to them, they just automatically say, well, you just don't like me. (laughs) Paul's like, no, I can't I can't do that because of what you're doing in the name of the Lord there in Corinth. Because notice he says, when you come together, you're coming together, not for the better, but for the worse. I want to talk for a moment about this coming together. It means to assemble or to associate with. It's something that we as Christians are supposed to do. We are supposed to come together. In fact, it's not if you come together, it's when you come together. Notice in verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together. Notice verse 20, now when you come together. This is what the church is. We have been called out of our private homes by the Lord into a public place to associate and to assemble and to come together. If we're not coming together as Christians, then we are bypassing the commands of the Lord. In fact, the writer of Hebrews even tells us, let us take thought as Christians of how we can spur one another and encourage one another along not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. In other words, the writer of Hebrews, even in his day, said some Christians are abandoning their own meetings. They're not coming together like they should. And when you and I don't come together like we should, then we are not taking the opportunities that we should be to to learn together, to grow together, to encourage each other, to refresh each other, and all that. It can't take place if we're not coming together. And we live in a world today, even amongst Christians, where Christians do not put a high priority on coming together. And yet that's exactly what the church is supposed to do. And then notice in verse 17, he says, and here's the deal. God's intent was when you do come together... It's not for the worse, it's for the better. And those two words you could also translate weaker and stronger. So Paul's saying, here's the problem in Corinth. Even when you do come together, 
You're becoming weaker spiritually because of your coming together, not stronger. And God's intent when he called us to be his church and to come together and to assemble together to hear the word of God, to be involved with each other was so that each of us could get individually stronger as believers in Jesus Christ. So that reminds us, I need to be a part of a local church where when I do go, I feel like I'm leaving stronger, if you will, uh, than when I you know, don't go, or when I go and and I end up actually feeling weaker, if you will, by being a part of a church. God never intended for Christians to feel that way about coming together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be part of a fellowship of believers where we are growing stronger as we come together. But that wasn't taking place in Corinth. They were coming together. Things were getting worse, if you will, and not better. Here's why. Verse 18, one specific. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I, in part, I believe it. By the way, I, I want to talk for a minute about the church here. Because the church is the people of God on display in the world for God. That's what the church is. That's why God calls us to leave our individual private homes and come together and assemble together as his people. Because he wants to put groups of his people on display for the world to see so that we show other people who God is. That we, in a sense, express to others who are watching us come together, the value and worth, if you will, of having a relationship with God and of having a relationship with each other. And we as the church need to remind ourselves of that. There are great privileges to being part of the church, but there's also great responsibility in being part of the church. Because we've always got to remind ourselves we are called by God as his people to put us on display so that we can let our light shine in the world and so that others can hopefully find God and see God in us and in the way we relate to each other. That's why he calls us out to come together in a corporate way. And then he goes on to say, when you come together as a church, there are divisions. There's dissension. There's strife amongst you. And that should not be with the people of God on display for God. Because the world will not be attracted to a group of people that can't get along with each other and is always fighting. In fact, very interestingly, and you knew if you know me, I was going to bring this out when you hear what it is. The word division literally means breaks in the line. It's a military term. It was a term that Paul used because he's saying, you realize that as the people of God, you're all supposed to be lined up, close the ranks. There should be no breaks in the line because breaks in the line are tragic. Breaks in the line allow the enemy to get in and to get through and to do all kinds of destruction and damage. And again, I know that to be true even from my history and what I love to study the Civil War. Because back in those days, 
You could have no breaks, no gaps in lines as these two armies fought each other. In fact, in the Battle of Gettysburg, there was a break right in the middle of the line. And 200 men, how many of you here have any connection to the state of Minnesota? Raise your hand. I know, I knew, I knew, yeah. All right, you'll like this. Battle of Gettysburg. Strategic defining moment at the Battle of Gettysburg. This huge line opens up in the middle of the Union line. And 200 young men from the state of Minnesota, the first Minnesota, literally ran towards that break in the line to plug the hole so that the enemy, the Confederate army, wouldn't go through and outflank and just literally destroy the Union army. And out of those 200 young men from Minnesota, only 20 of them survived. They gave their lives to plug that hole. Too bad we as Christians don't have that same mentality when it comes to maintaining our unity and the fact that we are to display ourselves as one army for God, one people of God, unified for a common cause, and that God doesn't ever want to see breaks in the line because it allows the enemy to come in And do all kinds of destruction and damage. We always have to be careful, even as a local church, that we're not conscious of the fact that one of the things that our spiritual enemy will always try to do is to start getting us, as the body, to turn on each other. That's exactly what was happening in Corinth. There were divisions. Now notice fascinatingly, in a sense, though, how Paul follows this up in verse 19. He says, there must in fact be divisions among you so that those of you who are approved may be evident. Paul says, look, here's the the thing, though, the reality. Divisions in a body, a local church, is going to be inevitable. Why? Because any local church is made up of human beings. Christians, yes, hopefully, but human beings. And not everyone who's a part of every local church is part of that church, if you will, for the right reasons. They've got their own agenda when they come to a church, to be part of a church. And therefore, Paul says, it's inevitable that, that not everybody in that local church is always going to have such a selfish, unselfish attitude towards being part of the church. Instead of looking at being part of the church for what I can give and, and for what you know I can do for others, it's more about even today magnified a lot more than even was back in this day. It's what can the church do for me and what can I get out of it and how can I promote my own selfish agenda within the church. And Paul says, here's one good thing that will come out of that kind of division. That those who are truly trying to do church God's way will become very evident. Because there will be a clear distinction between those who are involved with church and trying to do church and be part of Christ's body. It'll be very clear who's part of the church for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ and who's part of the church for the sake of themselves. Who's in it for self? Who's in it for others and for Christ? Paul says that will become very clear and manifest when those situations come up. 
So then he goes on. Now, when you come together at the same place, you are not really eating the Lord's Supper. Well, they are, but Paul's saying here, but what you're doing as a local church, it's not really representing or reflecting the values of Jesus. You're not acting like Jesus towards each other. What you're doing is not the way Jesus would have done it. This is not the intent that Jesus had when he instituted the Lord's Supper. So that's why Paul says to the church at Corinth, you may be physically doing the Lord's Supper with each other as a local church, but it has very little if no resemblance to what the Lord expected his people to act like when we come together as a group of Christians at his table under his name. Paul says, now there's not much going on like that. Because notice what he says. When it is time to eat, ding, 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 ding. When it is time to eat, everyone proceeds with his own supper. In a sense, Paul says, here's the problem. Everyone, even at this potluck dinner that surrounds the partaking of the elements, everyone's only thinking of themselves. It's all about, I'm hungry, I'm going to make sure I get enough for me. Do you care if everybody, no, I don't care whether anybody else gets any food or not. This is what I'm getting. And I'm going to trample over people on the way to the line. I'm going to make sure that I get what I want to, and I'm only thinking of myself. And Paul's trying to get the church at Corinth and all of us to take a step back and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Does that kind of attitude towards each other and towards this fellowship meal, is that reflecting the Lord who was so selfless and unselfish? Would Jesus make sure that he got what he wanted and then the rest of us were just, you know, we're just going to have to fend for ourselves. And well, if we don't get any, so what? Is that what Jesus would do? Or would Jesus make sure everyone else got what they needed and then if there was enough, well, that's fine, but he would always be more about others than he was himself. And so Paul's trying to get this church at Corinth to see, guys, you're doing what the Lord's asked you to do, to partake of a Lord's table. But my goodness, the way you're treating each other is awful, Paul says. You're only thinking of yourself. Again, let me emphasize this. This is a great and grave problem in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Because whether you're talking about observing the Lord's table or whatever you're talking about, most people today when they're trying to look for a church to be a part of, or they are a part of a church, it's about them. I hear very few Christians say to me, and not just people who are part of the OAS, I'm talking about Christians who are part of whatever local church here in the area. The reason they are part of that church usually never starts out with, well, God has led me there so that I can give my life to serve that body of believers. It's more like, well, they got this program and they've got this thing and they've got this thing and this really meets my need and, and I benefit from this and yada, yada. And, and it's like, wow. So it's all about you. 
being part of the church is all about you. And somewhere along the line, folks, all I'm saying is I hope that that mentality and that mindset can somehow change. Because we as a church are responsible. And one day we're going to stand before the Lord, and I think the Lord is going to say, is that the way I was, you thought I was supposed to do church? Is that what you thought I created the church for? No, he created the church so that we would have a place to come and lay down our lives for each other and serve one another and learn to do that in, in, a, in an environment where, you know, as we grow and all of that, that, that we can have a place where we can truly be there for others and where it's not about us. And that's what Paul's saying is wrong at the church at Corinth. When it is time to eat, everyone proceeds with his own supper. One is hungry, and another even becomes drunk. Well, that tells you that they were doing a little nipping at the church at Corinth. That sort of obviously assumes and implies that they probably had wine available at their fellowship meal, and that some people were just overindulging. And Paul says, this is crazy. Is this reflective of Jesus? To where you're coming together and you're on display for God? And you've got people at the, at the table who don't even have enough to eat because the rest of you, Paul says, in Corinth are just feeding your faces and you could care less about the person next to you who has nothing. And then others of you are overindulging there in the wine and you're going around drunk. Is that what God wants his people to be like? He says, do you not have houses so that you can eat and drink? If you're going to act like that, then do so in the privacy of your own home where you're not on display and where others cannot see because the kind of testimony that the church at Corinth was giving was a very negative testimony about their God. It was not a positive testimony to anyone. Then he goes, Or are you trying to show contempt for the church of God? I want to stop there because that's an important thing just right there. The word contempt means to think little or nothing of. And Paul's saying, Do you realize by the way you're acting towards each other that you're showing that you really have very little regard? You do not think very highly, if at all, about the church? And I think that's something that you, again, and and I as Christians, we need to make sure that we are, that what we think of the church is where it should be. My personal opinion and belief is that many Christians today do not regard the local church as highly as they should. It's not a priority. And I think that Paul in principle is saying that here. What is our view of the church? Do we not think very much of the church? And then he says, and here's an example of not thinking very much of the church. By shaming those who have nothing. The word means to dishonor 
or to disgrace. In other words, Paul's saying, and here's another problem. You had people in the church at Corinth that were very well off. And so when the supper was going on, you had people who were able to bring big picnic baskets to the supper. And you had obviously people in Corinth that didn't have as much as other people in Corinth, and they only brought small little picnic baskets. And the people in the church with the big picnic baskets were, in a sense, even if they didn't say anything, by them coming to the supper at Corinth and spreading out all their stuff and continuing to pull out of their picnic baskets all these wonderful delicacies and looking across the room at this poor family or this individual who has a very small picnic basket and maybe just pulls out a little morsel and they're not willing to share all that they have with this other fellow brother or sister in Christ, Paul says, shame on you. You are not thinking very highly of the church. And we should be, Paul says. Now notice too, this is all in the context of us partaking of the Lord's table. And what I hope all of us realize is this. Many times when we come to partake of the elements of the Lord's table... We are totally reflecting on Jesus and his sacrifice. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. That should be a major part of it. But you'll notice in the instruction that Paul gives to the church at Corinth that there is a very heavy emphasis on the fact that when we come and partake of the Lord's table and we have meals together and we interact with each other, that God is also very much wanting to see how we treat each other. Because to Jesus, that's very important too. Because as we're going to see in just a moment, we are Christ's body. We are Christ's body. So notice he goes on. What should I say to you? Should I praise you for this? Paul says, I will not praise you for this. So then verse 23. He begins to lay down the specific instructions from the Lord about the Lord's table. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, I want to stop there for a minute. The words given thanks in the Greek language is the word eucharista, which is why many of you growing up and maybe still associate the term eucharist with what we do here today. The word eucharista simply means the giving of thanks in the Greek language. And it's what Jesus was doing as he was getting ready to institute the Lord's table. Now, isn't it amazing that even the Bible points this out on the night that he was betrayed, which means that less than, you know, 48 hours later, he's going to be hanging on a cross after being scourged, after being mocked, after all of this, that he's thanking God? Yeah, because again, I think that shows his selflessness. Why was Jesus thanking God in the season that he was in, knowing what he was going to face? I think because of who he is. I think he was thanking God that he was able to pay a sacrifice that would allow you and I to have a relationship with God. I think that's the kind of God and the kind of man Jesus is. That he was actually... He has such love for us and he wants a relationship with us that he's actually thankful 
that he can have his body broken for us so that you and I can know him in a personal way. Again, just another, to me, uh, emphasis on his unselfish nature. And then it says, he says to them, this is my body, which is for you, verse 24. It means with you in mind, I'm having my body broken. And I personally have this conviction that if Jeff Royce would have been the only human being alive when Jesus came to this earth to die, that when he was on that cross, I would have been on his mind. And I think that's true for every one of us here today. Because he is God, that when he was hanging on that cross 2,000 years ago, he was able to look down the corridors of time and to see each one of us. And he was there on that cross, hanging there, dying with us in mind. It also means that he was doing this on our behalf. It also means he was hanging there in our place. That should have been us. But he took our punishment on himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty, you and I could become rich. He did this for us. And so he goes on to say, do this in remembrance of me. Deliberately remember me. Bring me to mind when you do this. Remind yourself of what I did and why I did it. He didn't just do it for no reason. He went through everything that he went through so that you and he could have a relationship with each other. That's why he did it. And he wants us to be reminded of that continually. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. By the way, one of the questions I get asked most often as a pastor, especially new people come to the church is, how often do you do the Lord's table and why do you do it that way? And my response simply is, you will not find anything in the Bible that tells us from God himself how often to do it. He never tells the church, do it every week, do it every month, do it every other month. It doesn't say. The only instruction it gives as to how often you do it is right here in 1 Corinthians 11.25. Do this every time you do it, as often as you do it. So in other words, God leaves it up to each individual local church and the leaders of that local church as to how often we do it. That's the answer. And why we do it or try to do it every other month is because I don't want to do it so often that it loses its punch, if you will, and its impact. But I also don't want to do it so little that we're not doing it to where it's enough to bring it to mind. 
So there is no legalistic formula from God as to how often a local church should do the Lord's table. All it says is, when you do it, here's what you should do. Verse 26. Every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Notice something else about the observance of the Lord's table. It's not only supposed to be a looking back to what Jesus did, but a looking ahead till he comes. It should be a time of looking back and remembering what Jesus did for us, but also a a hopeful thing. That we are looking ahead knowing that our Lord is coming back and receiving us to himself so that where he is, there we can be also. So it's a backward look and a forward look. Verse 27. For this reason, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Literally desecrating the body and blood of the Lord. Well, that's pretty serious. Now let me say this, because a lot of Christians, again, have asked me about this over the years. Look, here's the bottom line. None of us, in and of ourselves, are worthy to partake of that today. We are made worthy through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. In other words, he's saying... You're being too flippant about it. You're not really recognizing the seriousness of it, if you will. You're being disrespectful to the Lord in how you're observing the Lord's table. And think about it, especially in Corinth. They're coming together to celebrate the Lord's table And some of the people in the church are going hungry while others have more than enough. And some people are walking around drunk and and they're all in it for themselves. And there's no display of selflessness or unselfishness. Oh my goodness, do you not realize what you're doing? Paul says you're acting in a very irreverent, disrespectful manner. So listen, folks. None of us, when we get up in a few minutes, gets up there and takes this because somehow we think we're worthy. I don't think that. I know the only way that I get up there and partake of that is because Jesus made me worthy. But what I do need to be responsible for is my own attitude as I approach that table and approach those elements. Am I being flippant? Casual? Careless? about how I'm approaching this? Or am I giving the Lord and what he has laid down the proper reverence and respect? That's what Paul means here by an unworthy manner. He says, a person should examine himself or scrutinize himself first. One of the reasons why God did this is because it's a great time of sort of self-examination, of looking at my own life and heart and making sure that, that me and God are on the same page. And especially, I'm not partaking of these elements in a disrespectful, irreverent way. He says, because I should never eat or drink this bread without first examining myself, because the one, verse 29, who eats and drinks without careful regard for the body, eats and drinks judgment against himself. There's going to be severe consequences, Paul says, for Christians who do not approach the partaking of this 
in the proper manner. By the way, just to point this out, I don't think that that word body there in verse 29 is just talking about the physical body of the Lord represented in the, in the bread that we partake. I think he's also referring to you and I, the body of Christ. And we see this here in the context. Because what was Paul's big point? Not that they weren't, not that they weren't giving proper respect to the, the wafer, the cracker, the bread that represented Jesus' body, or the, the wine or the grape juice that represented his blood. That's not the problem Paul had. Paul said, here's my problem. You all are treating each other terrible. And so notice later on what Paul says in chapter 12, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians. He reminds them again, you are Christ's body. And each of you is a member of it. And therefore, Paul is saying to all of us as Christians, you realize that the way you treat your brother and sister in Christ is the same way you're treating Christ. Because you all are part of Christ's body. And if you're going to talk about each other and treat each other that way, then you may as well be talking about Jesus and treating him that way. Because you are all part of Christ's body. And I think Paul is calling them out, saying, you and I need to have more careful regard for the body. Not just the body of Jesus that's represented in the bread, but the body of Christ that's represented in our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And why does Jesus say later on in his instruction, if you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. He identifies with his people. Then he goes on to say this. That is why many of you in Corinth, verse 30, are weak, means without strength, sick, that means chronically ill, and quite a few are prematurely dead. That's pretty severe consequences in a church, isn't it? Paul said, you realize God has visited this church. And he's not pleased with the way you're treating each other. And some of you have already experienced, Paul says, very severe consequences for the way you're treating the body of Christ. He goes on to say, if we examined ourselves, we would not be judged or disciplined by the Lord. When we are judged by the Lord or corrected by him, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Paul is teaching here, look. God doesn't treat his own children the way he's going to treat unbelievers. But he does discipline us. We are his kids. He will correct us. And when our behavior is so out of line that it is causing damage, Paul says, God's going to correct it. And just like parents who correct and discipline their children, it may not be pleasant. But ultimately, it's for our good. And God does the same thing with his kids, too. Notice he says in verse 33, as we wrap this up, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Have regard for each other. Be attentive towards each other. That's the way God intended for the body of Christ to operate. Don't come together under God's name and in God's name and have these potluck suppers and these Lord's tables and all these ministries and service things and only be in it for yourself, Paul says. That's not what God intended the church to be about. 
God intended for His church to be a group of people who are living selflessly and unselfishly for each other and who are waiting on each other and not always about themselves. If anyone is hungry, Paul says, look, Paul says, if you're so hungry that you're going to trample on people over over towards the potluck and and you're going to make sure that you pile up your plate so that you've got everything you want and then other people go without, Paul says, then why don't you eat at home first? So that you're not so starving when you come to the church that you act crazy when food's let out. Okay? Hey, I'm talking to myself too. I know you guys just bring those brownies. Just to tempt me. I know, I know you do this. If anyone is hungry, he says, let him eat at home so that when you assemble, it does not lead to judgment. I will give directions about other matters when I come. What does it mean to wait on one another, as Paul said to the Corinthians? I think it can be summed up in these verses from the book of Philippians. I'll read them to you and then we'll close in prayer. Paul says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus As we, in a moment, partake of the Lord's table, it is a time to remember what He's done for us. It's a time to also look ahead to His coming again. But let's never forget that when you and I, as His body, and each of us is a member of that body, participates in anything in the local church, including the Lord's table, communion, that it's also about how we look at one another, how we regard one another, how we view one another, and how we talk about and treat one another. And so I hope today that when we get up and we partake of those elements, that we will allow God to speak to us, say, God, what do I need to realize and recognize and acknowledge and maybe even change Because I'm a part of the church, the body. And what does that mean for me personally? How do you want me to be part of your body here? What are you saying to me in this message today? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. In a moment as... We begin to sing this last song. You're going to be dismissed to partake of the elements or to gather the elements and come back to your seat. We would ask that as you get those elements that you would not partake of those until everyone has been served, until we wait on everyone, and then we will all partake together. A couple other things by way of instruction. This that we do today The remembering of Jesus is for Christians. For those who've accepted Jesus as their Savior. This is not instituted for those who do not believe. 
So, look, I'm glad if you're here today and you're a non-believer. That's great. We're glad you're here. But I'm asking you, please do not partake of the Lord's table. This is for Christ and his followers. This is for his people. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, you don't have to be a part of the oasis. This doesn't have to be your church home. But you have to have a relationship with Christ to partake of the Lord's table. And the only other instruction I would give is exactly what Paul gave. And that is, please make sure that in these moments leading up to actually partaking of these elements today, that you and I are not doing this in an irreverent, disrespectful manner. That we are approaching what we are doing with a proper respect for the Lord and what's going on here. And that we're not being flippant, careless, or casual in what we are about to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for reminding us of these teachings surrounding your table, the Lord's table. And I pray, God, that every time we partake of the table, every time we get together as your people, every time we have a a potluck dinner and anything, Lord, that is under your name or in your name, even at the Oasis, that, God, we would be conscious that we are the people of God who are on display in the world for God. And, God, help us to represent you in an accurate and proper way. Help us even today, God, to sort of recommit ourselves to being a member of the body of Christ, the church. And what does that mean? And how does that translate? And how does that apply to each and every one of us? And help us, God, just to treat each other the way we should. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.